This is a short description of the life of St. Alphonsus Maria Liguori, saint and doctor of the church, as told in the Old Divine Office, and the foreword to the book, Victories of the Martyrs, published by Eterna Press. Born at Naples of noble parents, Alphonsus Maria Liguori, as a very young man, took delight in caring for the sick in the public hospitals and in devoting his spare time to prayer in churches. In obedience to his father, he became a lawyer, but when he had experienced the dangers of this kind of career, he abandoned the profession. He renounced his right of inheritance as oldest son and became a priest, attacking vice with such zeal that he obtained the conversions of a great number of sinners. He took special pity on the poor and those living in rural districts and founded the Congregation of Priests of the Most Holy Redeemer to preach the gospel to them. Lest anything should turn him from his determination, he bound himself by a perpetual vow never to waste any time. Constant in contemplating the passion of the Lord and the Holy Eucharist, he was outstanding in his devotion to the Holy Mother of God, being more than once refreshed by signs of her heavenly protection. He wrote many books of religious instruction and of devotion by which he strove to gain souls for Christ. He consistently refused the ecclesiastical honors offered to him, but was compelled by the Holy See to accept the bishopric of the Church of St. Agatha de Goti, where he was generous to the poor and made himself all things to all men. He also brought back nuns to a more perfect form of life. Serious chronic illnesses led him to resign the Episcopal office and return to his disciples. Finally, at the age of 90 years, radiant with innocence of life and penance, he died a most peaceful death in the year 1787. Pope Pius IX declared him a doctor of the Universal Church, and Pope Pius XII established him as the heavenly patron before God of all confessors and moral theologians. By means of the penances he took upon himself, it could be said that St. Alphonsus was his own tyrant and his own executioner. Although he had never committed a grievous sin from his youth, yet impelled by his ardent love for Jesus Christ, he gave himself up to the most cruel penances, and God permitted that he could continue them to the age of nearly 91 years. He regarded himself as a victim that was to be entirely immolated to divine love without the least reserve and convinced that this love is manifested by labor and suffering as he himself teaches us, he thought only of laboring and suffering as much as possible for God. But obedience being better than sacrifice, he bound himself by a vow to follow in all things the advice of the director of his conscience, in which he recognized the divine will. By renouncing all worldly hopes, he condemned himself to a life of extreme poverty. His garments, his furniture, and everything that he used even when he was a bishop, bore the impress of this virtue and reduced him to what was strictly necessary. At night he took his short repose on a simple straw mattress and sometimes on a plank. And when traveling, if he could not go on foot, he would use only a donkey for riding. He took but little nourishment and was careful to mix it with bitter herbs so as to render its taste very disagreeable. And this he often ate on his knees or sitting on the floor. Besides the ordinary fast and abstinence, he fasted on bread and water on all Saturdays and vigils of the principal feasts. When he studied or wrote, he would stand with small stones in his shoes in order to suffer. He severely scourged himself every day and frequently to blood. He used, besides, little chains, hair cloth, and other instruments for the purpose of continually tormenting his flesh. One evening, worn out with fatigue, he fell down in his room, having swooned away, and remained unconscious the whole night and the greater part of the following day. 
The doctor ordered him to be disrobed, and on him was found a hair shirt that covered his whole body. From this, we may form an idea of his austerities, which he strove so much to conceal from the eyes of men. To these self-inflicted penalties must be added his great labors in the midst of pain, solicitude, and continual trials. Our saint had at one time conceived the idea to devote himself to the Chinese missions, and he was anxious to know God's holy will in regard to this matter, but the Lord deigned to call him to another apostolate. Obedient to the voice of heaven, he generously undertook the work of his institute, notwithstanding numerous obstacles. When, after having laid the foundation, he saw himself all at once abandoned by his first companions, far from yielding to the efforts of hell to discourage him, he bound himself by a formal vow, under pain of grave sin, to persevere in his vocation, should he have to remain alone and to offer himself as a sacrifice for the salvation of souls. Wishing to consecrate himself unreservedly during his whole life to the service of God, he made another vow, which the bull of his canonization declares to be very difficult and till that time unheard of, namely, never to allow a moment to pass without employing in it some useful work. Heaven bless these magnanimous acts. The devil, however, although always conquered by him, never ceased to excite against him a thousand contradictions, unjust prejudices, perfidious accusations, endless intrigues, lawsuits, threats, and odious attacks. His enemies went so far as to bribe an infamous creature to sully his reputation and that of the missionaries. A man of influence who was leading a scandalous life took with him one day a troop of assassins for the purpose of murdering him, but he was arrested on the way. The saint, on learning the danger that threatened him, quietly said, He may take my life if he pleases. In this way I shall obtain the crown of martyrdom. It was a remarkable thing that his own friends were the cause of affliction to him no less than his enemies. As soon as they heard of the design that he had formed of founding a new congregation of missionaries, nearly all of them turned against him. Those who but recently admitted his talents and his virtues allowed a change to come over them in their conduct towards him, looking upon him as an extravagant and fanatical man, a visionary filled with self-conceit, the sport of a foolish illusion. Without consideration, they heaped upon him, both in public and private, the most humiliating reproaches. Everywhere there were persons that vied with one another to decry him, and men in authority that were secretly his guides and his support did not dare to permit him to use their testimonials that he might defend himself. His associates of the propaganda wished even to exclude him from their society and to deprive him of a benefice that was his only support. Those that had declared themselves against him triumphed, especially when it became known that his first attempt had failed and that he now found himself abandoned by his companions. He was regarded as one that was irretrievably lost. No one dared to take up his defense, and he was even referred to from the pulpit as a melancholy instance. The confusion and the anguish of our saint reached their highest point, Yet the most cruel trial to which his heart had to submit came from the excessive tenderness of his father when it became necessary for him to tear himself away from his gentle embraces in order to proceed to the place whither God was calling him. The Lord, moreover, reserved for his virtue many other assaults, and these came from his own spiritual children and from the common father of the faithful, by whom he was loved and venerated and to whom he was always perfectly devoted. Alphonsus had known how to avoid the episcopate of which the thought alone made him tremble.
He had already thought himself free from all danger when, at the age of sixty-six and under the burden of grave infirmities, he found it suddenly imposed upon him by the irrevocable command of Pope Clement XIII. This was for the poor old man like a thunderbolt, which appeared only to survive by a miracle. After having carried this heavy burden for thirteen years with a courage that was truly heroic, he was finally relieved of the episcopate owing to the infirmities that were overwhelming him. It was then believed that he would finish his days in peace among his own spiritual children, but he was really going to empty the cup of bitterness that was yet far from being empty. The enemies of his congregation never ceased to compass his ruin by all imaginable proceedings. His congregation was continually hovering between life and death, but they were unsuccessful in their criminal designs. When this violent storm appeared to have subsided and peace was restored, the devil succeeded in stirring up in the institute itself a domestic war that shook it in its very foundation. This was caused by some subjects that abused the confidence of the holy founder and turned against him. He was shamefully calumniated at Rome in the midst of such a concourse of circumstances that it was impossible for him to defend himself. He was accused of having infringed his rule and consequently the authority of the Holy See that had approved it. He was judged and was treated as the author of a culpable act of which he was only the principal victim. Pope Pius VI, prepossessed by false reports and deceived by every appearance of truth, believed it to be his duty to condemn him, to depose him from his office of superior general, and even to exclude him from his dear congregation. Our saint, aged 84 years old, suffering and powerless, received this news without being able to answer. His heart was, moreover, filled with great sorrow in being obliged to see his most worthy children involved in his own disgrace and the great injury to souls that would be the result. There was no one left to console him. Humble and resigned, he profoundly bent his head and said, It is only God whom I desire. It is sufficient if his grace is not wanting to me. The Pope wishes it so. May God be praised. The will of the Pope is the will of God. He was for several years suffering under this fatal blow, the hardest that could have been inflicted upon him, and it was only after his death that the Holy Father learned the entire truth and became fully convinced of his innocence. God permitted this event in order to give his servant an occasion to exercise till the end his great virtue and to acquire very great merits. But this was not all. He still had to suffer a long and painful martyrdom both in his body and in his soul. At the beginning of his apostolic career, he was afflicted by two mortal illnesses in consequence of his excessive labors. His recovery was obtained only through the particular help of the Blessed Virgin. In his 52nd year, he was taken with a violent asthma that endangered his life. He was relieved of this trouble, but continued to suffer from it ever after. The violence that he had to do to himself in order to accept the Episcopal charge again reduced him to extremity. He rallied with great difficulty and had a relapse during the first visitation of his diocese, about two years after. Each time his case was despaired of, the last sacraments had to be administered to him, and preparations were made for his funeral, but his course was not yet finished. It was in the 72nd year of his age, in 1768, that he was attacked by his most cruel malady. An extremely painful rheumatism which at first was thought to be sciatica, gradually encroached upon all his joints and ended by affecting the vertebrae of his neck. His head was very much bent over, 
so that his chin rested on his chest, where the pressure of the beard produced a painful wound. As the sick man suffered without complaint, this wound was only perceived when the vitiated eruption flowing from it attracted the attention of the doctors. All his members were contracted, and the body, when viewed from behind, appeared to be without a head. The holy bishop had to remain painfully seated in an armchair during the night as well as during the day, and could not lie down, nor dress, nor move, nor rest. However, at the end of a few months he became convalescent, but he continued to suffer, and it was no longer possible for him to raise his head during the 19 years that he still lived. Nothing was more wonderful than his patience and his resignation during this painful sickness, and yet great was the constancy of his zeal to perform the exercises of piety, to mortify himself, to apply himself to the duties of his charge, notwithstanding all his sufferings. And to all this we must add his interior trials with which the others cannot be compared. St. Alphonsus was a little more than 33 years old when God subjected him to this terrible cross. His life was then only a life of aridity and desolation. At the altar he found himself without devotion. Prayer had become to him most irksome. I go to Jesus Christ, he used to say, and he repels me. I have recourse to Mary, and she is deaf to my voice. A most sensible privation for a soul that has tasted heavenly delights, and that now, plunged into darkness, sees only misery, and fears to have made itself unworthy of the presence of its beloved. But it was above all during the last period of his life that our saint had to undergo the most frightful combats. It seems that God had given to the devil the power to afflict him as he afflicted Job. After having struck him in his body and in his religious family, having made him fall into disgrace with the sovereign pontiff, the tempter represented to him these evils as the punishment of his sins and wished to persuade him that God had abandoned him. The poor old man was then heard to cry out in a heart-rending voice, Help me! The devil wishes to make me despair. Help me! I do not wish to offend God. The enemy, being repulsed, returned again and again to the charge, seeking to take him by surprise. He attacked him in different ways by darkness, scruples, fears, perplexities, horrible temptations. He even appeared to him under the form of different persons, and now flattered him to inspire him with the sentiment of vanity, then endeavored to make him believe that he was a reprobate. But in his distress the saint never omitted to invoke Jesus and Mary, and assistance was given to him. We give but a cursory view of what Alphonsus suffered during his long career. Would it not have been much more agreeable to him to shed his blood by the hand of the executioner in the midst of the most cruel tortures with the consolation of sacrificing his life for Jesus Christ as he desired to do? And would not his merits have been proportionate to his trials and to his fidelity? We should therefore be convinced that he bears a brilliant palm in the assembly of the celestial conquerors. O great saint, who has done so much to draw us to God, to show us the way to salvation, and to conduct us to it by thy example. Now that you occupy so high a rank in glory, assist us from the heights of heaven. Obtain for us the grace to follow you, at least from afar, or rather, obtain for us the grace generously to walk in your footsteps. Obtain for us great humility, great confidence in the divine mercy, great faith, great patience in trials, great love, great courage, great devotedness until the last breath. Obtain for us by your prayers that we may reach a place near to you so that you may present us as your conquest for Jesus Christ. Amen.
And please pray for the repose of the soul of my friend, Father Mark Beard, who died in a car wreck today in Mississippi. Eternal rest grant unto him, O Lord, and may perpetual light shine upon him. May his soul and the souls of all the faithful departed rest in peace.